Amen? All right, let's get into the message uh, today. We are in part two of our series, Divine Shift. It's a series all about the life of Jesus. And we're calling it Divine Shift because oftentimes the ways that Jesus taught and lived and, and he, he encouraged us to practice were a significant shift from the religious and cultural mindset and tradition in which he found himself in. In fact, much of his teachings and ways are a shift from our current cultural practices. And last week we kicked the series off uh, talking about how the religious tradition that many of his disciples came from, uh, you were condemned for your sin, uh, but he came to offer forgiveness and freedom from our sin. And today I want to talk about a, a shift that would have been in the disciples' minds from the Old Testament and the Mosaic Law of those days into now the New Testament, which we are a New Testament church and following Christ, and a significant shift uh, that he did for them and for us. But before we dive in, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we pray today as we open it up that you would speak to us. Uh, and we just posture our hearts and minds to receive from you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Luke 10, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, uh, Luke 10, verse 1. If you have a, a little subtitle in your Bible, it says the commissioning of the 72 or the sending out of the 72. Uh, it says this, that after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of them to go into every town and place where he was about to go. These were 72 disciples of Jesus. In Luke chapter 9, he sent the 12 disciples, which many of we know by name. Uh, they later became the church leaders in the Acts, in the book of Acts, we see those as the apostles who led the church. These 72 were your everyday followers of Jesus, like you and me. You know, one would have worked in the business sector, one was a doctor, one was a fisherman. You know, they, they, they were like your everyday followers of Christ, and he sends them out, and he appoints them. The number 72, if you're kind of a, like these uh, aspects of scripture like I do, uh, 72, at that time, there were actually 72 known nations. Uh, so Jesus using the word 72 was intentional because he was saying, I'm actually sending everyone to go and reach all people. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't just come for some people? He came for all people. He, he came to reach all people and bring hope to all people. And that's what he was communicating here by intentionally using the, the, the number 72. But there were real men uh, and women. 72 he sent out. He sent them two by two ahead of them to every town and place he was about to go. So he sent them out in groups of people. Uh, again, you've heard us say this here at Catalyst Church. The Christian faith is our relationship with God is personal, but don't get it mistaken that our, our faith is not individualistic. Our faith is very communal. God always, you'll see all throughout scripture, he's calling us not just to himself, but to the body of Christ. It's so important we, we understand that. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is not the only time Jesus uses this phrase. Uh, it's an agrarian culture, so they would have understood what that meant. Um, you know, I've never necessarily harvested wheat myself. Uh, maybe some of you have. Uh, but my understanding is when the harvest is ready, you need hands to pull in the harvest. And he was saying that people are ready to receive the good news of the gospel. So I'm sending you out. And I love Jesus. Sometimes I love to find humor in the scripture. And I think this is one of those moments. Because he's like, hey, the harvest is plentiful. Man, there's lots of work to do. Now, verse 3, go, I'm sending you out. <laughs> Come on. It's like saying, I have a lot of work to do. Why don't you go and do that for me? Come on. <laughs> I just think it's funny. 
He says, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Well, tell it to us straight, Jesus, right? He says, do not take a purse or bag or sandals or a 2022 version, you know, your fanny pack or your book bag or your purse, whatever it might be. Uh, do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you. The worker deserves its wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town, you are welcomed. Eat what's offered to you. Heal the sick and who, you, who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcome to go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you, yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I want to share with you three truths from this passage. And here's the first one, which really is the foundational one. And I'm going to kind of unpack it, spend some time unpacking this, because for some of you, this will be a brand new thought. It might even be a confusing upon first here. Um, and here's the first truth I want you to grab hold of, is that we are ministers. You are a minister. I am a minister. If you are a follower of Jesus, you've actually been called into full-time ministry. Welcome. Come on, somebody. I'm going to unpack that because some of you are like, wait a minute, Jeremy, you are the minister. I am. Uh, we're going to unpack that. He appointed them. He sent them out into his authority to do his work, to fulfill his mission. In other words, he says, you are my representatives to the earth. I want you to now go, very similar to Matthew 28 when he says, go and make disciples. He's sending them out. He's calling them out. See, the shift was this. In the Old Testament, there was a priestly class of people. They were set aside uh, as, as really them and the prophets were the only ones believed to actually hear from God and minister on behalf of God. But because of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, as we know, the veil was torn, as we just sung about, and now we have full access to God. And catch this, now we are all ministers on behalf of God. 1 Peter 2.9, Peter writes this. He's speaking to a group of Christians, uh, Hebrew Christians, and he says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. He's talking to you and me. A holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. In the Old Testament, priests were a few people. In the New Testament, it's the priesthood, what's that word say? All believers. Not some believers, not those who are really righteous. Come on. Right? Not, not those who believe only certain segments of theology. No, all believers. I love the fact that God chose us. Have you ever like just let that sink into your spirit? Like the God of the universe chose you. I remember in elementary school, anybody grow up in elementary school playing kickball during recess? Come on. Remember those days? Uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm not bragging. I might be bragging. But I was pretty good at kickball, okay? Um, I was kind of the person, when I, when I came up to kick, they were like, back it up. Now, let me give you the real truth why I kicked it so hard. I could never run fast, okay? So I kicked it hard enough so I could actually get to the bases. Come on, somebody. Like, we all have our strengths. I can't run fast, but I kick hard. So, uh, but when they would have recess, right, uh, and they would, they would pick, right? They would pick their teams. Like, who's going to be on, on your kickball team? Or if you play pickup basketball, pick a team. 
It always felt good to be chosen, right? It never felt good if you're the last person. It's like, okay, I'm stuck with Jeremy, you know? And just, I want you to catch this. Just, just, just go with me there for a moment in your mind. The God who spoke the world into existence chose you. And he chose the person next to you. And he chose me. He chose you. He chose you to be a minister, a priest. Let, let me give you some clarity on this term minister. Um, in Ma- Matthew 23, 11, Jesus says this, The greatest among you will be your servant. That word servant, uh, many translations translate this Greek word diakonos to servant. Um, uh, that, that word servant, or uh, diakonos, means servant or minister. So a lot of times when you see the word servant, not all the times, but a lot of the times in the New Testament, the original Greek is that word diakonos, which refers to minister. That ministry is actually service. I want to break it down for you very clear. This is just a working definition based upon the Greek of the words. A minister is someone who serves others or meets others' needs in Jesus' name and for God's glory. So you are called to ministry. You are called to full-time ministry. What's that mean? You are called to meet other people's needs in Jesus' name and for God's glory. Let me break it down a little more specific. That tomorrow morning when you get up and you go to work at the NIH or Walter Reed or you go to school at American University or you go to school at Whitman High School, that when you go, you are actually going, yes, as a student, yes, as a fellow, yes, as a nurse, yes, as a teacher, yes, as a business person, but you are also going as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you are called to meet other people's needs in Jesus' name for God's glory. Now, it doesn't mean tomorrow that you go into work with a study Bible and say, we are doing a Bible study of Hebrews chapter 1. Your boss is like, no, I need you to get to work. Are you about to get up on out of here? Don't do that. In fact, can I tell you pretty practically what, what, what ministry looks like at work tomorrow? Is you do your work with integrity. That your yes is yes and your no is no. And you do your work with excellence. That's where ministry starts. You know what ministry looks like at home? Come on. Ministry looks like you doing the dishes tonight. Come on, somebody. How many of you know I need Jesus when I do the dishes? Anybody else? It looks like, it looks like, it looks like, come on, changing your kid's diaper. Come on, that is ministry. Uh, Ministry looks like you attending to the needs of other people. I want to make it very simple for you, not to, over, not, to, not to make it this kind of big thing like, oh, man, do I have to, like, teach the Bible? No, it's attending to the needs of people around you, and every single one of you, you are called. Listen, you may have the job of doctor or nurse, but you're called to be a minister. You might be a businesswoman, but you're called to be a minister. You might have a title of mom, but guess what, mom? You minister as a mom. Dad, you minister as a dad. Spouse, you minister as a spouse. Wherever you go, you're a minister. But even this morning, I even, um, someone shared with me how they were in an Uber car this morning. And a moment came up where just a con- they were attended to the Uber driver's needs. And next thing you know, at the end of the drive, they're asking, they're talking about faith. They're asking about the church. Again, that's not always like the goal. It's not like we're trying to like manipulate things, but no, we're just, listen, when you begin to minister, here's what happens. You begin to minister and attend to others' needs. You're actually inviting in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And watch what he'll do. He'll do things that you could never do. I can never do. 
But when you say, you know what, I'm, I'm coming in as a minister, as a servant, as a diakonos, wherever I go, that's who I am. Now, some of you are still like, Jeremy, wait a minute, I hear what you're saying, but you're the minister. <laughs> Ephesians 4, let me give clarity. So Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, i.e., church leaders, to equip his people. We are all his people. You are his people. I am his people. For works of service. That word service is also the word diakonos. That is also to, to minister. So that, here's why, the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the measure of the fullness of Christ. God is saying, listen, I want you to experience the fullness of what Christ intended for you. I want you to mature and experience all the benefits and blessings of being a follower of Jesus. And here's how that happens. When the church leadership equips the people of God, you and me, when we are equipped to do works of ministry at work, at home, in the community, at the gym, at the coffee shop, at church. When we do it, here's what happens. The body of Christ matures. The body of Christ grows. And we experience the fullness of what God has for us. And how do we do the equipping as church leaders? We equip through the teaching of the word of God. You know, we're in the middle of March Madness right now. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's coaches uh, coach the players, they train and develop the players to execute the plan, right? To execute the place, to win the game. Much like St. Peter's, now a 15 seed, going to the Sweet 16, right? They, they, they give them, the coach has a role and the player has a role. Listen, as a pastor, my role is to equip you with the word of God so that you can go now do ministry tomorrow at work, at home, at the gym, wherever you are. Here's what Paul said to young Timothy in uh, first, or second, second Timothy 3. He says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant, the minister, the diakonos of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has a good work for you to do. And how do you become thoroughly equipped for every good work? You read the scriptures, you study the scriptures, you apply the scriptures, you do the scriptures, you submit to the scriptures, and the scripture begins to shape you and train you and form you. And I know, if if you're like me, I don't like this word, but it's in the Bible, so we got to embrace it. Correct you, rebuke you, train you, so that you can do every good work. So what's your role as a follower of Jesus? I sit under the teaching of the word of God. I submit myself to the word of God. I don't pick and choose what scriptures I love. I submit to it. I embrace it. I don't change the word. I change myself through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, I would love if God said, pick and choose the scriptures you want. But he wants to equip you for every good work. If you want to be effective, you want to make eternal difference, you want to live a life of significance, read, study, submit, apply, do the word of God. I know it sounds simple, and it is. It's just not easy. It requires submitting your will. It requires sitting under teaching. It requires getting healthy accountability. It requires intentionality. But church, my heart for you as a pastor, as a church leader, is I want to equip you so you can go make an eternal difference in your business, 
in your school, in your organization, at the NIH, at Walter Reed, because you are called to ministry. One last scripture, then we'll move on to point two. 1 Corinthians 3, the Apostle Paul. I love this analogy he uses. This is an important truth. He says, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God makes it grow. Again, you'll see a lot of agrarian principles in the scripture because that was the culture at the time. Verse 9, we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Have you ever considered yourself God's co-worker? I love this. Again, God, God does not, listen to this, God does not need you, but yet he chose you. He doesn't need you to do the ministry, but he chose you to do the ministry. He, he, he chose you to be his co-workers. I love this. Paul says, Apollos was his boy, you know. Apollos planted the seed. I watered the seed. I did my part. But God makes it grow. Let me take some pressure off you too. Um, you and I as ministers are not called to change people or change their hearts. You and I are not in the business of life change. We are in the business of ministry. But here's what happens. When you minister, when you attend to people's needs, when you share your faith, God saves the soul. When you meet somebody else's needs, God softens the heart. When you give and are generous, God grows his kingdom. Because when you actually attend to people's needs and serve people in Jesus' name for his glory, you invite the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's job is the one to comfort, is the one to convict, is the one to bring change. But we have a part to play. So we are ministers. Here's the second one. I want you to embrace this truth because it's true. Is that we are, you are, I am spiritually gifted. You have been gifted by God. Christ says, don't take any purse, bag, sandals. Take nothing with you. Now, anybody else here this morning, you'd be honest enough to say, are, are you an overpacker? Like when you go on trips, you pack too much. Anyone else? Come on. I, I am one myself. True story. About a month ago, I went on a two-night trip. Like literally, I was there less than 48 hours. I brought the largest piece of luggage we had. I used less than 40% of the clothes I brought. Um, I brought three pairs of shoes, and I used one of them. But I like to be overprepared. Come on, right? At least that's how I justify it. Um, Christina's always like, Jeremy, you don't need that much stuff. I say, you never know, Christina. You never know. You don't know if it's going to be 90 degrees or 20 degrees. You just got to take everything. But some of you, some of you can, because you don't, want to feel, you don't want to feel like you're not equipped, right? And sometimes some of you hearing the fact that you're called to be a minister, in your mind, it starts to run all of the reasons why you cannot. Like, Jeremy, I barely even pray. J Jeremy, I, I just started reading the Bible. Jeremy, I just came to faith in Christ. Uh, Jeremy, do you know what I'm still doing? Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not living a super moral life right now. Listen, scripturally speaking, even what Jesus says here, he doesn't give a qualifier. He doesn't say you're called to go minister if you can check these boxes, A, B, C. In fact, the apostle Paul says this, my righteousness is like filthy rags, that actually I'm never going to be able to be good enough 
But God still chose you. If you read the scriptures, the woman at the well in Samaria, I love this, because a woman literally, you know, if you know the story, she had had multiple husbands, and she was then living with a man who wasn't her husband. But then Jesus still, once she came, she realized who he was, came to faith in him. He then sends her back to go be a diakonos in Samaria. Can I tell you, listen, if you came to Christ this morning, God's called you to ministry tonight. Like, like you are called. And listen, you might be like, Jeremy, I am ill-equipped. Here's what I found personally. Sometimes when you feel completely ill-equipped for something, but God is calling you to something, then he is definitely in that something. <laughs> because if you felt equipped, you would think to yourself, listen, because this, this is how we work. Maybe not you, but I do. If I felt fully equipped for something, then I wouldn't necessarily be so dependent upon him. But the fact that you don't feel equipped, the fact you don't feel comfortable, he says, you are exactly where I want you to be because you'll be dependent upon me. And then when I do it through you, people will see it's me and not you. Some of you need to embrace this because you're like, man, I am not called to this. I am not equipped for this. I am not righteous enough. Then you are the very person God is saying right now, you need to embrace the call of ministry. Not by might, the scripture says, not by power we do it, but by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit empowers you. We believe in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit empowers you to do the ministry God is calling you to do. The Apostle Paul, in fact, let me say one last thing. Do not disqualify yourself from what God is calling you to. Some of you right now, you're disqualifying yourself. And can I tell you, that disqualification is null and void by the blood of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Hallelujah. It's null and void. You were called. Yeah, you are imperfect. Yeah, you got issues because you have breath in your lungs. But you're also a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are imperfect vessels, but we serve a perfect Christ. In fact, if you look at the scriptures, I mean, if you, as you get to know the scriptures, you'll be encouraged. I mean, Peter, one of the closest, even while he was with Jesus, he got so angry, he cut a man's ear off. Come on. Like, that's got to encourage you. If Peter is in, you're in, right? I mean, David, right, the lineage, uh, Jesus' came from the lineage of David. He was an adulterer and a murderer. Like, these are people that God used. Rahab? From her lineage came Jesus. She was a prostitute. Jonah ran from God. Lazarus was once dead, and God worked through him. Listen, don't disqualify yourself from what God's calling you to. The apostle Paul tells the church at Corinth this. He says, he says that you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. And he was saying this to Corinth because some were thinking they were um, superior to others because of their giftedness, because of their righteousness. And then some were feeling more inferior because of their lack of, in their mind, giftedness or the kind of gifts they had or because of their, what they thought was a lack of righteousness. And what he's saying in this moment is there's no superior parts of the body or inferior parts of the body. Every member of the body of Christ is significant to God and to the body of Christ. Romans 12, the Apostle Paul teaching on this, says, for just as each of us 
have one body with many members. These members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, though we many form one body and each member belongs to another, we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. That word gifts there in the Greek, the plural, is the word charismata. The singular of the word gift is charisma. Uh, That's where we get our English word charisma. But to be charismatic, um, and, and we all as a follower of Christ are charismatic in the sense of this. We have spiritual gifts. And when those gifts are being expressed, you are being charismatic. Some of you, maybe you came from a a charismatic church tradition, and when you hear charismatic, you think someone needs to be running around the room right now during worship. Maybe that was your church experience. We are a charismatic church. We believe in the full expression of the Holy Spirit's gifts that are on the inside of us, and we are charismatic. We have the gift of the Spirit. The root word for the word charisma is the word charis. That word charis means grace. So every time you operate in your spiritual giftedness, you are expressing the very grace and the love of God. There's different gifts. There's actually 27 gifts listed in the scriptures. That are, there's an empowerment by the Holy Spirit in our life. The Apostle Paul says you can eagerly desire all of the gifts, but oftentimes we have certain gifts that are kind of our primary giftedness. Same spirit, different gifts. I'll give you a few examples of them. Maybe some of you can resonate with this. Some of you have a gift of administration. Like you dream in, in, in terms of spreadsheets. Come on. Like you have a task list for your task list. Come on. Like you love inbox zero. I like that's your love language. There are some of you, you have over 10,000 emails in your inbox, and you're like, whatever, you know. That's not your gift, right? Um, (laughs) I won't tell you which one I am. Um, Exhortation. Like some of you, you, this is a gift in the scriptures. You're like an encourager. Have you ever been around someone like this? Like everything, they're just affirming you and encouraging you and speaking life. That's usually someone with a gift of exhortation. They just encourage you. There's a gift of hospitality. Like people who love to host dinner parties and open up their home and set the environment. There's the gift of leadership. Like you can take a team of people and move them to, to do great things. You have a gift of leadership. Mercy. Like you are incredibly compassionate and caring. Like people with a gift of mercy make great friends because they're so attentive to your needs. Service. Some of you enjoy serving and helping and uh, working with your hands. Like the gift of craftsmanship. When the gift of craftsmanship, you can create things, you can fix things with your hands. Um, I have the gift of I break things with my hands. Come on, somebody. Um, so I thank God for the gift of craftsmanship. I think I score a zero on that gift. I'm like, Holy Spirit's like, gave me none of that one. Um, teaching, you make complex ideas simple. Intercession, like you love to pray for people. I love to be around someone with intercession, the gift of intercession, because they, want to, they love to pray for needs that the people have. And these gifts, listen, the Holy Spirit has empowered you with these gifts as an expression of his grace to be used at home, at work, at church, wherever you go. I remember some, a couple years ago, I went to go, a guy was at Catalyst our first year. He worked in IT downtown. And I went to meet him for lunch one day at his office. And while we're walking into his office, his office is about, you know, five stories high, you know, about, about you know, 500 employees at the office. He's walking in, and as he's walking in, he's like, oh, hey, Charlotte. Hey, I heard your, your, your grandmother's in the hospital. How is she doing? Hey, Tim, how, hey, Tim, how was your son's baseball game on Saturday? Like, literally every person. I was like, bro, I thought you told me you worked in IT. 
Like, are you like the leader of this whole thing? He's like, no, no, no. And then it hit me. He had the gift. It's, called, it's in scripture. It's called the pastor-shepherd gift. And it's a gift where you just kind of care for people. And I told him, I said, listen, you may have the job of IT, but you are a pastor in this office place. Like, you're caring for people. Like, how many know it feels, you feel loved when someone notices you, when someone knows you have a need? So when you express that gift, you feel the love. Remember some years ago, someone came through our Next Steps process, which, by the way, part of our Next Steps class is to help you discover your unique spiritual gifts. Someone came to the Next Steps, and her number one gift was mercy. And she said, uh, she felt so affirmed because she says she worked as a, as a nurse at Walter Reed. How many know you want a nurse with some mercy? Come on, somebody. Like when you're in pain in bed, you need some mercy, right? You don't want someone harsh with you. Like, get up. Like, no. You know? You want someone who's like, are you okay? Do you need anything? You know? If you are a harsh nurse, we love you. I just hope I never get you at the hospital. Moving on. She also then served in our kids' ministry. How many know you need mercy to serve with some four-year-olds? Come on, somebody. Right? And, and, and this is how it works. Like, whatever your primary gift, listen, you can minister however, attending to needs. But, but usually the primary way God calls us to minister is through our giftedness. That we use the way he's, he's gifted us to serve other people. That's why, and, and then we experience the grace of God. Like this morning, come on, when the worship team, who they have a gift, a s- empowerment by the Holy Spirit to gift, some, mus- some instrumentally, some vocally. How many felt the grace of God during worship? Like that was a spirit working through them. They were working through the production team in the back. Come on, our kids are experiencing the, the grace of God through the mercy and the teaching gifts of our kids' ministry. You received the grace of God by our greeting team when you walked in this morning. And they said, it's so good to see you. And they held their sign up. Come on, Sunday fun day. Like you felt it. True story. When I first came back to faith, and when I first came to church, I hadn't been in church in years. And I was really far from God. I didn't remember, the first service I ever went to, I did not remember the sermon, which is discouraging for someone like me, and then I did not remember the music, but I remembered the greeter, because when I walked in, they said, it's so nice to see you, and I was far from God, and I never experienced that before, so I was like, you don't even know me, you know? (laughs) Then I was like, you know, then I was like, this is nice, actually. Like, she doesn't even know me, but she says it's nice to see me. I hadn't experienced, like, that kind of, like, feeling before, and that drew me in. I'm telling you, you experience the grace of God when, you, when people express their gifts. And we're called to receive people's gifts and that grace, and we're called to give our giftedness and grace. I love what Rick Warren says. He says, your spiritual gifts were not given for you, your own benefit, but for the benefit of others, just as other people were given gifts for your benefit. I like it this way. God has given you gifts so that you can be a gift to the world. 1 Peter 4.10, Peter says this, each of you should use whatever gift, your charisma, you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace, that you steward the grace of God. And why do we, why do, we do this? Why, why do we serve others with our gift? Here's why. Ephesians 4.16, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. At the body of Christ grows, 
as each part of the body does their part. When the person with the gift of administration and the gift of teaching and the gift of intercession and the gift of craftsmanship, when everybody does their part, the scriptures say the body of Christ grows, both spiritually and numerically. And we see it all throughout the scriptures. Acts chapter 6, we even see there was a need within the community People were raised up to, who had a passion and a giftedness to meet that need. And the scriptures say that more were added to their number. The church was growing, and we're here to reach people with the good news of Christ. Your life, you're called to reach people with the good news of Christ and use your giftedness to grow people up in faith. You know, I was thinking about this idea of how every part works together. How every part works together to do their part, and it grows the body of Christ up in love. And I was reminded of an experience I had in my middle school home economics class. Did anybody, did anybody take home economics when you were in school? Do they still have home economics? I don't even know. They don't? Oh, man, they need to bring that back. They taught you how to sew, although I didn't listen, so I never learned how to sew. Taught you how to, like, make food. That's an important life skill. And uh, I remember this one time in our, in our home ec class. I was in sixth grade. And they had us make cookies, chocolate chip cookies. So here's what the teacher did. She's brilliant. She's like, she gave every member of the group a different ingredient. You had to go measure it out. Because, and then at the end, the reward was this. You had to eat your cookies. So if you made funky cookies like that, you felt like you were being penalized, right? Like you not only failed, but then you got sick, right? So you like wanted to do this well because I need to eat these cookies after we get done. And here, so, so you know, to make cookies, there's different parts of, of the cookie um, that we have, and uh, I just so happen to may have a few ingredients with me this morning. Uh, you know, you have the flour. You need some flour. We thank God for flour because flour makes bread, and bread is always the will of God. That's why it comes first at the restaurant. Then you have sugar. Sugar is important when you're making some cookies. Then you got to have some eggs. Come on. Listen, the best way to get some omega-3 fatty acids into your diet is to eat a cookie with egg. <laughs> Write that down. You're welcome. Welcome to Jeremy's Cooking Show. Today we'll teach you how to get healthy ingredients in your body while enjoying it while you digest it. Just add it to a cookie. That's, that's a good way to do it. So you got some eggs. Then you got some butter. Come on. Thank God for butter. It's delicious. It makes everything better. Um, and then you can have chocolate chip cookies without some chocolate chips. So these, there you go. Um, so each of these ingredients by itself are good, right? I mean, flour by itself, you know, you make some bread, amazing. Like sugar, like it's great, you know? Sugar is what makes everything better. Uh, butter, come on, true story. Don't judge me, this isn't a parenting message. We have caught two of our children eating a stick of butter by itself. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I looked at them and I said, I don't blame you. You know, <laughs> I'm not even mad. <laughs> and then you got eggs. You know, eggs are good by itself. It's nutritious, you know, kind of, kind of balances out everything else. And then you got, of course, you know, the chocolate chip, semi-sweet morsels, you know. I mean, you can eat these by a handful by themselves. I mean, that's just, you know, it's good. But as amazing as these ingredients are, in and of themselves, which they are amazing. What's even better is that when they all come together, 
and you, you mix them up and you bake them, you get some chocolate chip cookies. And how many of chocolate chip cookies, like butter's good by itself, but in cookies, much better. Eggs aren't that good by themselves. So in cookies, much better. Here's what I'm saying. Listen, some of you, your gift, you know, is sugar, flour, it's administration, it's teaching, it's mercy, it's workmanship, it's service, it's intercession, it's leadership. All of us have different gifts. And the Bible says when every part does its work, it builds the body of Christ up in love. Or in the mind of Jeremy Burroughs, you get chocolate chip cookies. So this is the power, church, of when we do our part. So here's my question for you. If you don't know your spiritual gifts, or you're like, I don't really know where to start, come to Next Steps. We want to help you discover that, discover your unique gifts. But is exercise those gifts. Ask yourself, am I, am I exercising my gifts at work? Am I exercising my gifts at home? Are you exercising your gifts here in the church? Can I tell you, that's why we're doing Team Sunday. That's why we have these booklets. So you can see, look at these teams and say, man, where do I feel like I'm gifted in? Man, I, I, I love to encourage people. I'll join the greeting team. I love behind the scenes. I love to work administratively. I'll be an admin team. I'm pretty good with technology. I'll be production. Whatever it might be. I have a passion for the next generation. I love kids. I'll do. Why? Because, listen, it's not for Catalyst Church. It's because the Bible says when you do your part, when I do my part, when you do your part, and you do your part, and you do your part, when we all do our part, what happens? The body of Christ grows in love. And if Jesus Christ is Lord, then we are called to minister to grow the body of Christ up in love. Helen Keller says this, alone we can do so little. Come on, Helen, preach to us now. But together we can do so much. We did more yesterday as a church in two hours than most of us could even do this year. Why? Because we did it together. We are better together. Listen, our faith is personal, but it's also communal. All throughout the New Testament, we are never called to follow Jesus by ourselves, ever. Never. He calls us to him and with each other. That's why he has instituted the local church. So we have, we are ministers. We are spiritually gifted. My last and final point is we have a mission. So he sends them out and he says, you know, if you go into a city where you're not accepted, kind of dust your feet off, just move forward. In other words, he says, do not get distracted. Anybody else here, you are easily distracted? I am easily distracted. You have those moments in your day where you pick up your phone to check an email. Next thing you know, 27 minutes later, you've been scrolling Instagram or a news app. And uh, we have so many things around us that distract us. And here's what Christ is, is essentially saying to his disciples. Listen is be mindful you do not get distracted and off mission. Here's what I firmly believe, and we see it scripturally. If the devil cannot defeat you, which he cannot defeat us as followers of Christ, the same spirit that raised Christ in the grave and lives on the inside of us, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. He cannot defeat us. So here's what he does. Ready? 
he'll distract you. To where next thing you know, mentally and emotionally, you're caught up in something that the end of days may not actually matter. Because there is a day where we'll come and we will stand before Christ. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. Now, don't be intimidated by that word. It's essentially a reward-based judgment. There's the great white throne judgment, which is whether or not you follow Christ, we're welcomed into eternity with him. And the second judgment is we have rewards in heaven. It's, it's in the New Testament. There are several scriptures that point to this. We are rewarded based on what we did on earth for the sake of his kingdom. And we all, we all are going to have that. All of us will have that judgment. And we'll receive rewards according to. So we, we need to know what is our mission. And it's Matthew 28. Many of you know this. All of us have the same mission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I'm surely I'm with you always to the very end of age. The God, listen, through his Holy Spirit, is with us always to the end of age. He says, go and make disciples. In the same way in Luke 10, he says, go. And can I tell you, listen, that word go, sometimes God may call you to cross the globe to go somewhere, but oftentimes he's just calling you to cross the street, to cross the cubicle over next to you. A lot of times we think of missions or being a missionary, we think of something overseas, but we're actually supposed to start right where we are. So you don't have to go anywhere else. You just go to work tomorrow. As a minister, you go home tonight as a minister. You go right where you are. He says baptizing them. Now, he's telling this to all of his disciples. The word baptize had a twofold meaning in the New Testament. It meant to have them publicly declare their faith, which, by the way, on April 24th, we're having a baptism. But also in the New Testament, baptism always was synonymous with inviting somebody into a local church, a local community of faith. You're embracing someone. And all of us have the job to invite people into the faith, to share our faith, to, as the church, to embrace people as they come in. Like the church, we exist with open arms. As people come in, like welcoming. Like we're, a, we're the family of God that is ever growing. And then teaching them to obey everything. And this simply means you don't have to get up on a stage anywhere and teach them the Bible. You can simply share with people, man, here's what God is showing me. Here's what's happening in my life. Here's what God's doing in me. And you're showing them how to walk out this faith. And we're all called to make disciples. So here's my question for you. Are you making disciples at home? Here's some questions to reflect on. Am I living out my faith as a follower of Christ? Do my children, does my spouse, does my roommate, do they see me pursuing Christ personally? If I have children, am I impressing my faith upon my kids? Am I impressing the word of God? Am I talking about my faith at home? At work, am I living out my faith by working with integrity, by, by working with a sense of excellence? Am I kind do I, do, I, do I see my, the clients I work with and my coworkers with value, regardless of their degree or their status? I treat everybody with value. And when the time comes, when the, time, when the opportunity arises, do I actually share my faith? At a at church, these are three areas that we all are called to. We have a home, we have a work life, and we have a church. Am I planted in the local church? Am I participating, not just attending a service? Am I participating? Am I giving? Am I serving? 
apart with my local church. My last scripture. Here's why this is important, that we're called to make disciples in every area of our life. 1 Corinthians 3, the Apostle Paul says, If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, costly silver, stone, silver, wood, hay, straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, that's judgment day. It's a capital D, if you see that in the scriptures. That's referring to the judgment seat of Christ. The day will come. It will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, each builder will receive a reward. Back then when they would build buildings, before they sort of deemed them fit for use, they would test them with fire. They would see if the building materials could actually last through, through fire because they didn't want to send someone to go into that building if it couldn't survive a fire. And he's saying in the same way, your life here on earth will be tested with fire. Like it'll be brought before God and he will examine our life and what did we do? Listen, I want you to hear this. I want to close with this. To be a minister of the gospel of Jesus, which you're called to do if you are a follower of Jesus. It, it may not mean that you're called to do anything differently. You're not necessarily changing your what. You're changing the why. That I'm now doing it for his glory. I'm now doing it in Jesus' name. So when I go teach those third grade kids tomorrow at Bethesda Elementary, I'm doing it in Jesus' name and for his glory. When I work on that experiment at NIH, I'm doing it in Jesus' name and for his glory. When I lead my employees in my business, I'm doing it not for my glory, in Jesus' name and for his glory. When I parent my kids, I'm not just doing it so my kids will be successful citizens. No, I am parenting in Jesus' name and for his glory. When I'm part of a local church, I'm not just here, what's in it for me? No, I'm a part of a local church in Jesus' name and for his glory. The why, it's the why, it's the heart. You are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's live it out.